Hi, I'm Jason Chung, head of the esports practice at Zuber Lawler. And I'm Philip Milestone, counsel at Zuber Lawler. Zuber Lawler is a law firm, and like any good lawyer, we have a big disclaimer for you. We are lawyers, but we're not your lawyers. Until you pay us. So everything here is for entertainment purposes only. Again, until you pay us. This podcast is brought to you by virtualtimes.com. Virtualtimes.com, your news from the metaverse. Welcome, Meta Sapiens, and welcome back to What the Meta. Uh, we've been on hiatus for a little while. Uh, Philip, what have you been up to? How are you doing? Summertime, baby. Uh, with, with three kids and no school, I must entertain them and distract them somehow. So I put them to work. Now, we were uh, enjoying summer, staying cool, having fun, traveling around, uh, taking it easy, trying to stay up to date on developments and news from around the world. Absolutely. Yeah, I did a little bit of traveling myself. Unfortunately, all the news in the world seemed to happen just as I was away. Uh, but uh, it was fun to keep up with, you know, everything that's going on. But jumping straight into it, uh, you know, this week, we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, the macro, what's going on, uh, you know, what does this mean for the metaverse. But before we do that, Philip, there's been a lot going on in, in the crypto world, which obviously impacts the metaverse, uh, you know, with Ripple and just a couple of days ago, Terraform Labs. Uh, what actually has been going on? Could you give a little a brief update for our listeners? <laughs> I, can, I can try. <laughs> uh, so Ripple uh, is a crypto company. Um, their business is to sort of replace Swift. They were about uh, enabling uh, transfers of currencies and exchanges between currencies, be it fiat or crypto. Um, the SEC sued them God, years ago now alleging that they were engaged in a bunch of actions that the SEC didn't like. That case, because it's been going on for some time, came to a point of, uh, it's called summary judgment. Um, for the non-lawyers out there, summary judgment is a, an event after discovery, after the parties have been going at it for a while, where one side or both sides can say, look, you know, your honor, we have all these facts now. And certain questions, certain allegations, we don't need to have a trial about those because there's no there's no dispute. We'd like you to agree, uh, Your Honor. So that's that's where we were in the Ripple case, and um, in a a great decision that I suggest everybody read. Judge Torres out of the Southern Southern District of New York held um, a bunch of interesting things. We're not going to talk about the the fraud allegations against the actual humans involved in uh, Ripple, but in terms of whether or not XRP, the token that Ripple introduced is a security, um, the, the judge in the Ripple case stated something important, and that is that tokens sort of qua tokens, right? Tokens per se, tokens as tokens are not themselves inherently securities. Um, interesting parallel in the Terraform case, um, and I'll get into that one in a bit, that judge agreed and said, you know, it's not the case that a token, qua token, right, just because it is a crypto asset, a cryptocurrency, that it is a security. Instead, both judges looked at sort of the circumstances surrounding the transactions that, um, with which those cryptocurrencies were involved. Um, the judge in Ripple looked at sort of three different distribution scenarios um, to put to oversimplify. The first was sales to what they called institutional investors, um, VCs, hedge funds, sophisticated per persons, probably accredited investors would be another term. And the judge said, yeah, in that situation, you know, you were selling um, XRP 
uh, by an investment contract, and those are those those are regulated events, right? And that's in that situation, the investment contract is a security. Um, interestingly, though, um, there was a differentiation, right, between the token and the contract used to sell the token, right? That matters a lot because the token, remember, by itself is not automatically a security. The judge says, no, this investment contract to which you were selling the token, you know, was an event that should be regulated by the SEC. Uh, the judge then looked at sales of XRP on exchanges where buyers were buying from somebody, but not necessarily Ripple. They, they didn't even know who they were buying from. Judge said that was not an investment contract, right? That was um, something the SEC shouldn't be regulating. And then finally, the judge said that incentive grants and to both employees and people in the ecosystem, right? Saying, hey, you know, please build, build on Ripple, build, build with XRP. Judge said also not um, a security in under those circumstances. And all of this is sort of analyzing this thing called the Howey test. Uh, famous case, everybody, you can look it up, you can Google it. Talked about orange groves and people selling um, interests in the orange groves and importantly, profits that those orange groves would produce. And the Supreme Court many years ago said, look, if you have an investment of money and a reasonable expectation of profit solely through the efforts of others, then you're dealing with a type of thing that the SEC can regulate. And the judge in the Ripple case said, look, when you're selling to accredited persons, with documents that look a lot like you're selling, for example, equity, then yeah, that's a security. Exchanges, no, and grants to employees and ecosystem members, no. So that's essentially, in a nutshell, again, to radically oversimplify the Ripple decision. Um, everybody read it for yourself. There's some really great analysis out there. Some people think that that's you know, gonna stand. Some people think, well, you know, like the institutional stuff, that'll stand, but the programmatic sales, you know, that's maybe okay. But the grants to employees, absolutely not. Like everybody has a bunch of different takes. Um, I'll let I'll let our listeners make their own decisions. I tend to think that the institutional investors, um, it's not gonna be that big a deal. There are other ways to get around um, full registration with the SEC. There are a bunch of exemptions that you can um, take advantage of. Sales and exchanges, who knows? Grants to employees, we'll see. <laughs> so, um, but what's what's nice is it's guidance. And I will say that it's nice that the judge in that case said, you know, tokens, merely because they're tokens, right, doesn't make them securities. You need more. Um, so along comes Terraform. And Terraform, interestingly, is in a different uh, procedural posture, is what lawyers like to call it. In that case, we were dealing with what's called a motion, dealing with a motion to dismiss. So remember I said in Ripple, the judge was deciding a summary judgment motion post-discovery. And the parties were saying, look, we have all this information. Now you can make a real decision on the merits. In Terraform, that's not where we are. We're still in the sort of allegation phase. And what happens is the SEC made a bunch of allegations against Terraform and its founders. And though in Terraform and its founders turned around and said, whoa, you know, this whole complaint should be tossed. It, it doesn't state... Um, an actionable claim, right? Uh, there's there's no way that that this should stand for a for a bunch of reasons, right? Um, a, the facts are wrong. B, you know, the Constitution requires that we be treated differently, uh, so on and so forth. It's important to remember that in Terraform, the judge has to assume that everything the SEC alleges is true. That's not the case in Ripple. In Ripple, the judge did not have to assume the allegations that the SEC made were true. In Terraform, it did. So in that situation, the judge in Terraform said, look, if I look at what the SEC says 
And I, I mean, there is a standard, right? That the SEC can't just make stuff up, but all they have to do is sort of have a plausible claim, right? Not just possible, but plausible. And that's not, it's not a very high bar. Um, and the judge said, look, assuming that what the SEC said is true, then like they've stated a case. We actually have to have this out. You know, we have to engage and discover it. We have to move forward. Um, so in that sense, it's, I think, less monumental than the Ripple case. But the judge in Terraform did address Ripple. Um, and I think there are two in, in, in two places. Number one, the judge in Terraform, like the judge in Ripple, said that tokens, just because they're tokens, are not securities, right? It's possible they can be, but it's possible they, they aren't, right? This kind of goes back to Howie. It is entirely possible for an orange to be sold under circumstances that make it a regulated, that make it an investment contract, right? Or orange groves, right? Um, it's also entirely possible that it's not. <laughs> and so it, it depends on facts. Are you satisfying that Howie test that I mentioned earlier? Uh, so in that sense, the, those two judges agree. But they did disagree on another important point. Um, the Ripple decision said that folks buying XRP on exchanges uh, were not buying pursuant to investment contracts regulable by the SEC. Terraform disagreed. Terraform pretty much straight up said, you know what? I think that other judge got this wrong. I don't think it matters if you're buying on exchange. The fact is that exchange transactions still satisfy the Howey test. We'll see. Neither of those cases are, are final, right? In Ripple, uh, there are still appeals possible. That case still has to go to trial on the, the fraud actions and a couple other things. Um, so that, that case is not even done sort of at, at the trial level. Once it is, it'll probably go up to the appeals court and possibly the Supreme Court. Who knows what the SEC is going to do. Um, Terraform, similarly, right? This is just this is very much a preliminary motion, right? A very beginning stages motion. Um, they have to engage in a bunch of discovery. So whew, what is going on? We have some clarity, right? We have a couple of judges actually addressing things. We no longer have just the SEC out there making a bunch of allegations. Um, to, to rewind it a little bit, there was a case before both of these uh, that was filed by the SEC against Coinbase when the SEC listed a bunch of um, different coins, a bunch of altcoins. Not ETH, not Bitcoin, famously, but, but um, several others, and you can look them up. And it just sort of said in there that all of those coins were securities. And these two cases kind of step over and say, well, whatever, SEC, you can allege what you want to allege, but you know, here's the law. This is what we think the law means in this situation. So it's good. We have some clarity. We're moving towards clarity. That's a, that's a good thing. Um, so I'll, I'll stop there. There's a, a lot more out there, a lot more detail, but in general, um, I think that's a good 60,000 summary. Yeah, it's a great summary. And I think the most important takeaway is that there's some clarity that's emerging from the from the bench, but at the same time, this is all interim. This is all subject to change. Uh, you know, uh, there's still a long process left to go. So anyone that's claiming victory or that there's clarity, that's not true. And not to be a, an annoying lawyer mode about this, but you still need to uh, tread carefully to a certain extent. You know, you still do need legal guidance. You do need somebody to sort of read the tea leaves. And I think part of the issue that it's really been frustrating about this is that the guidance has not always been, well, has never been clear on this front. And the regulations have come a little bit haphazardly in the eyes of a lot of people who are, who are supporting this. So, you know, we'll see what the SEC does. We'll see if, you know, to what extent they appeal. Uh, again, it's really interesting that two judges in the same district, uh, you know, have different views on some of these core issues, which means that this is definitely going to get appealed at some point. Uh, you know, just reading the tea leaves, who knows? 
But at the same time, like, you know, uh, if it does, hopefully that it brings more clarity. And I think that's what we've been talking about throughout these weeks that we've been talking throughout this year that we've been talking, like, you know, everything is a little bit too uncertain for people to make big plays in right now, but obviously that's changing, which is great. Um, one thing before we move on to other topics, Philip, like why is the SEC acting the way it has? Like why has it been so, uh, to a certain extent, haphazard in its, uh, and sometimes, you know, reticent to, to, to regulate and sometimes overzealous to regulate in, in the eyes of some, like why has it been so different? I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I can't get into the head of the SEC or its or its its leaders. Um, I mean, there are a couple of different perspectives, right? You've got the cynic who would say it's about control, it's about government protecting government, um, and there's some evidence for that. I feel like Chairman Gensler famously said, "Like we have a digital currency. It's called the dollar," and that you know, Fortis fundamentally misunderstands the decentralization aspect of, of crypto. Um, on the other side, you've got uh, people who say, look, we have an SEC for a reason, right? Before it existed, before we had the 30, I mean, there was a reason the 33 and the 34 Act were passed in those years, you know, Metasapiens. You may have remembered that um, th that was sort of, we call it the Great Depression, because in the 20s, things got, went bananas, and the SEC wasn't out there regulating things. We had states trying, and uh, there was not a lot of federal regulation. And, you know, we have the Great <laughs> Depression, um, and some people will tie that all together and say, look, the SEC has a role to play, right? It's supposed to be um, making people uh, disclose information. If you want access to the capital markets, like rock and roll people, but you have to make certain disclosures so that people can make informed decisions, right? Um, and I, I can see that. Uh, but why why is the SEC acting the way it is? I don't I don't know, right? Um, I don't think it's quite fair to blame the SEC exactly. You've got you know the Commodities Future Trading Commission has a case against Uki Labs um, and where they're essentially saying the same thing that you were running you know an exchange and in violation of our law. So it's not just the SEC. You've got um, you know the what is it the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency? was sort of involved a little bit in denying banking access to a bunch of different crypto projects. So I, I, why is the SEC acting the way it is? I don't know. Um, why are regulators acting the way they are? I think that, you know, crypto is new and different and they don't know quite what to do with it. I, I think a lot of them have probably good intentions saying like, look, our job is to protect consumers. But, you know, this was a problem before that, right? If we, let's rewind 15 years and we can say, the accredited investor definition essentially means that people who aren't wealthy can't really participate in early stage companies. And that, you know, how much is that protecting people? <laughs> and how much is that concentrating wealth at the top? So why is the SEC acting with this? I don't know. Um, like you said, I'm glad we are getting some clarity. Uh, judge made, the judge decisions, common law um, is great. You know, I love it. Go team, carry on judges. At the same time, like you said, um, judges' sphere of authority is both limited and not limited, right? Certainly, they can address big questions, but you've got two judges in the same district making different decisions, and that if that does go up to appeal, and the Second Circuit decides one thing, well, that just is that's in the Second Circuit, and circuits can differ. The Ninth could decide something else, and the First, and the Fifth, and the Fourth, and who knows what else. All these different circuits could have different decisions, and that sort of makes a situation where you have a comp. It, it makes it more difficult to comply. Which you know can be good, can be bad. You know, laboratory of democracy, so on and so forth. But we also have legislation happening, but state level and the federal level. There's a couple of bills going through the Congress right now, one in the House and one in the Senate, at least, 
And uh, there's a lot of activity happening. So I would say regulation, good. Intelligent regulation, best. Um, <laughs> and I, I think that there is a, there's a universe of people within um, distributed ledger technology who you know, very much have distaste for all regulation, but that's, but that's true in any industry, right? You've got folks in web two who are massive libertarians, right? Uh, and, you know, they have their place. You have other folks who embrace regulation intensely, who are getting ahead of the game and saying, you know what, you know, we don't care what you say, SEC, about whether or not this is security, we're just going to treat it like one. We're going to say it's a security. We are embracing regulation. You're doing everything to treat this as if it were a security. So you've got, you know, both of those different aspects, but Clarity, good. And as we move forward, as these cases happen, you know, kudos to, <laughs> let's plug our profession, kudos to the lawyers for coming <laughs> in and, you know, really trying hard. And you've got you know, different people and on intelligence, yeah, thank you, <laughs> different people, you know, really doing their best to, to get clarity. And this is how our, how our system is supposed to work. I think it sucks a little bit for entrepreneurs, but um, that there it is. Uh, I don't know why the SEC is acting the way it is. I do hope we get good regulation and we get it quickly. Um, but I'd also like a pony. And I think that both of those things are equally likely to happen in the next 24 months. Yeah, well, my concluding thought on this, uh, and I think you put it really well, is it's it's really hard to know. And having worked on the government side of the ledger, you know, obviously uh, in a different country in a different capacity, but having done these kinds of things before, uh, it's important to note that regulators are people. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, to figure out something that is brand new, that is leveraging new technology, that is claiming to change everything. Uh, you know, unfortunately, regulation is almost always reactive to what's happening and what's going on. So it's going to take time to figure this out. It's also going to take time to figure out if this is going to last or if it's just a fad that doesn't really, you know, deserve that much weight. Right. So does it, it would, you know, uh, again, does it take years to figure out whether it's worthy of, a, you know, hardcore regulation? Uh, probably not, but at the same time, I think that because of the stakes and because of what's going on, and because they, the regulators don't necessarily want to suppre suppress all innovation, uh, they've been very cautious about it, uh, and you could argue over overly cautious about it. And uh, you know, maybe they're making up from what lost time. I don't know, uh, but at the same time, what is happening and what is a byproduct is we're getting additional clarity. We'll continue to get clarity. You should, everyone listening, all Metasapiens should continue, if, if they're in this space, to continue to speak with their lawyers, uh, to check to see what's going on, because guess what, you know, things change at a very rapid pace, and we'll continue to do so. So, you know, uh, just make sure, uh, you know, uh, that uh, that you're on top of everything as much as possible. Um, that's, that's what's been going on in sort of the crypto space. And the reason why I wanted to talk about it was because obviously it has impacts on the metaverse as a whole, right? You know, it's, you know, crypto was, is, is basically viewed as the way that we're going to do transactions and how we're going to actually, you know, uh, exchange value in the, in the virtual worlds and stuff like that. Right. Uh, and so there's a lot that's going on in the tech space as a whole, because the metaverse I feel is always constantly, you know, in fashion, out of fashion, uh, plausible, not plausible. Uh, crypto is going to change the way it operates. Crypto is uncertain about where it's going to go. So I wanted to today go out a little bit and just talk about what's going on tech overall and what impacts the metaverse from sort of a, a 30,000 foot level. And really, the first thing that I wanted to uh, touch on was Twitter or X or whatever it is now, right? Um, and, you know, I'm going to just call Twitter for this conversation, just be just, you know, because X can mean a lot of things, which is, I think, sort of part of the problem. But anyway, uh, the rebrand is what it is. 
Um, what I wanted to talk about was um, the concentration, Philip, of all these users, all these voices, all the public square, uh, square in, uh, in the metaverse or the Twitterverse or whatever it is, concentrated in the hands of quite a few people, right? Because one of the things that we've been talking with Philip is that the metaverse is going to require people and users. It's going to have to need, it's going to need actual bodies uh, to actually populate the thing and make it interesting. Um, what happens when, uh, you know, all of these kinds of services that aggregate all these people together are in the hands of so few people? And that's what I wanted to talk about today. Uh, first of all, uh, what did you think about the Twitter X rebranding and uh, the, the reaction to it so far, Philip? In a microcosm, I think that the fact that San Francisco's zoning department had to forcibly act to make that giant sign come down from the top of the building because it was put up unsafely. It was emitting light that was having impact on people who suffered from strobe effects. Um, that to me is sort of exactly what's happening, right? Um, move fast and break things is actually, I think, the motto of uh, Twitter's owner's main jujitsu rival. Um, but that ethos is just evident, right? Um, that's what happened with Twitter. Uh, it was it was never perfect. It was far from it. Um, but the rebrand is just it's this just the latest right uh, thing where you have a, a brand that had built a lot of goodwill, right? A lot of a lot of meaning, a lot of secondary meaning, a lot of acquired secondary meaning. A lot of uh, a lot of weight behind it, right? It was an important brand. People knew what it meant, and this sort of evisceration, this 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 killing, this 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 brand aside or whatever you want to call it, um, is just the the latest example of taking a thing that was working but needed perfecting, and um, making it not work and need more perfecting. Um, that's that's my take. I haven't been on Twitter active for many years, um, certainly since it was sold, not at all. And I don't have any desire to be on there now. Um, so I, I don't know, I'm trying to be very sort of diplomatic, but I am, I am not a fan of the rebrand or um, what has happened to what was a useful and important space. Um, I feel like it was mostly useful, important to mainstream media, right? I feel like there was just a lot of time. People would always say, "Oh, let's let's talk about this important tweet," right? And in that sense, it was a it was a way for people to get a message out, which is exactly what it always should have been, right? Um, but they had a, a bunch of trouble with verification and then hate speech and misinformation, and I don't think they ever quite got that right. Um, but I think that might maybe goes to the question more of what you're asking, right? We're supposed to have this commons. We're supposed to have users. The metaverse is going to be a place, again, in, in macrocosm, much like Twitter, uh, where you have a bunch of people interacting through avatars or handles. And, you know, what is it? You know, is, 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 is the metaverse like Twitter, where sort of on one side it wants to be a public square, but on the other side says, oh, no, we have terms and conditions that we can just arbitrarily enforce them like we want to, um, with, without any sort of, you know, checks or balance, right? Uh, so the rebrand is a mistake. I'll, I'll go on record saying that. <laughs> Put it up there, guys. 
Um, I'm not <laughs> yeah, right. I'm I'm not interested in an everything app. Um, I'm whatsoever. Uh, but I do think it does matter for our ability to talk to each other. Um, and in that sense, I feel that it is sort of it's a it's a sad day for civilized conversation. And I think that's exactly what I wanted to get into, Philip, which is the fact that for better or for worse, Twitter. Uh, you know, pre uh, obviously purchased by uh, by Elon Musk was viewed, yes, of course, as a as a Silicon Valley sort of like tech play and all that kind of stuff. But it also seemed to have a public perception of the public square, right? Like people could yell whatever they want into the void, and people would yell back if you know you got enough traction, right? And to a certain extent, you know, was that democracy? Not really, but at least was public, right? It was the commons, as you mentioned, you know. And I think it's important to probably mention what that is, the com the idea of a commons or a public square. But, you know, historically, uh, you know, public square or commons is where is, is just the idea that you get to talk about, you know, social issues or civic, anything that affects civic life, right? And for better or for worse, Twitter was that for, for a good long while, right? A good long while being what, maybe a decade or so in today's world. But like the thing is, it was, right? It was the go-to place. Um, but ever since the, the post-purchase, um, you know, and I've had met many people say this, you know, and I've been reading online, it doesn't feel like that anymore, quite as much. Of course, people are free to say what they want, but there have been accusations and allegations of more censorship. You know, obviously there were allegations from, from uh, other parties before that, but now it seems like if you say something against, you know, the founder, or not the founder, but the current owner, if you say something that they don't like politically, that it could get muted, there's been allegations of that. Uh, there have been entire groups that have removed themselves from the conversation because they don't like what's going the, the type of speech that's happening. Uh, there's also creators that are being uh, incentivized to keep creating, even if they're controversial. So to a certain extent, it it does feel, and I don't know if you feel if you agree with me, Philip, like that Twitter feels less like the public square and more of a a much more corporate, moderated sort of square. That's that's you know obviously uh, under the idea and the control of a singular person more than anything. That's interesting, right? Because I I don't know that person at all, but I would think that they are they would take offense at the idea that it's being moderated, right? I think that their their stated goal is sort of is is dismoderation, right? That all speech is now allowed, um, and I I get that, right? As as adult persons, you know, are should we have access to all possible forms of speech? I mean. Certainly, there should be limits, right? There are there are certain things that should be disallowed no matter what. Um, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that person. I I don't. It doesn't feel corporate to me, right? Not the way that um, other large companies feel corporate, right? I feel that there are uh, fossil fuel companies that greenwash themselves. There are um, extractive resource companies that sort of wash themselves in, in, in public goods. Uh, at X at least is not doing that, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it sort of is exactly what it says it is, you know, and that is a place where anybody can say anything. It's kind of no matter what there is, there is, there is no moderation. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I feel that importantly, and I know that you uh, have this um, in, in your mind, there are, there are options, right? Um, uh, Zuck came out with Threads, which is sort of an interesting play. Uh, I think that it was it was beautifully timed, right? I feel like there was sort of a huge amount of distaste being associated with Twitter. And um, all of a sudden, this option that quite honestly looks exactly like Twitter 
uh, comes out and says, "Hey, you know, come on over here. We are, we're the we're, we're the we're what Twitter used to be, right? Is what it kind of feels like. And I feel like that is we know one place for people to talk. Um, Facebook still exists. So I haven't been on there in a long time. Um, so there are still places where people can talk for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that." Insofar as this podcast is focused on the metaverse, I think some of its promise was going to be another place, right? It wasn't going to be that we were confined to talk to each other in, you know, so many characters on a phone um, or possibly, you know, a desktop client. But you could, you know, do that in a commons that kind of looked a lot like where, where we are now, right? And I think this is some of the promise of Apple's spatial computing, where in augmented reality like that, where I could put on goggles, where I can still see the world, right? But I'm sitting from the outside, it looks like, you know, an empty park. But through my uh, goggles, there are many people there and all of us are sort of talking and we're all sort of conversing, right? Now, who owns that space? Uh, Apple would own that space <laughs> is, is the answer. But um, I think that the metaverse does promise us a possible future where we have ways to talk to people, both like-minded and not like-minded, that aren't controlled by um, Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg. Now, is Mr. Scott any better? No. <laughs> and I think that brings us sort of back to the importance at the top of the program, right? And that's the decentralization. The idea that someone could um, start throwing tokens at interested people. And those tokens would you know, allow you to step onto a square that isn't controlled by the token issuer, but instead is you know, vibrantly active on a decentralized and distributed network, right? That's that's the promise of distributed ledger technology, that you could have a metaverse that is entirely controlled only by its users. That is important. And if we're talking about public spaces, I think we have to go back to sort of distributed ledger technology as an industry because all the problems we're facing, I shouldn't say that, that's hyperbolic. Many <laughs> of the problems we're facing are because these important properties are subject to the whims of kings. And those, you know, kings of the modern age share all the ills of kings back in the day, right? There's a reason that direct monarchy is not in fashion. Um, And I think that decentralization has the same promise that, interestingly, collective action had, right? When people band together and say, look, we as a group, are not going to take this anymore. Thank you, Mr. Snyder. Um, and I think that decentralization has that. And it's in a weird way, right? Collectivization through decentralization. I might get that tattooed on my body somewhere. But I think that is um, an important aspect towards the commons that, that we need to realize. And these judges' decisions are the SDNY, where they say that tokens can exist. You know, have, give them a utility. Go for it. Just don't do it like this in a way that the SEC can regulate. You know, that's that's important because before those decisions, that, that wasn't clear because the SEC had said infamously that, you know, I think every token except for Bitcoin is probably a security, right? I don't know if they said it is a security, but probably is, right? And now I feel like we're sort of coming away from that. That's not true. It is entirely possible to have a token with a utility that's not security. And because of that, I think we have the promise of a future for a digital commons that isn't controlled by centralized power. You know, I think that's a great notion, Philip, right? But I'm gonna I'm gonna play a little bit devil's advocate here because uh, I do agree with a lot of what you said. But you could also argue that in today's world, 2023, that it's impossible to bring the user base 
and to set up the bones of a successful uh, playground that people want to be in without one of these kings or BMS that you mentioned stepping in and bringing their users with them, right? Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, we've always talked about, you know, a media being a lot, you know, uh, tools of communication, being able to democratize information and uh, uh, democratize the, the, the exchange of ideas. Uh, in practice, we know that that's not always true, right? Uh, media, uh, for, you know, even from the printing press to broadcast has been accused of being more centralized with different kings. Uh, you know, even, even things like uh, these uh, social media startups and now mature businesses that control a, a big part of the economy, you know, they, they were supposed to democratize, but then created new kings. Is it possible? I mean, are we fetishizing the technology is the question that I always come back to, right? Ultimately, the, the technology is run by people. Can a collective ever put together a product good enough that 100 million people want to join the first week? Yes, Bitcoin. But how long did that take? Would be, I mean, it, would be it was introduced. I mean, the white paper was issued in 2007, and it's still the most valuable cryptocurrency out there, right? And it, there is no king. We have no idea who Satoshi is or was or mm -hmm. might be or who, who that group might be, right? But what you have is a thing created out of thin air, right, that is not controlled by a central authority whatsoever. You just have a bunch of nodes out there doing stuff, right? And, you know, those <laughs> miners are, are important. You can say, well, there's too much concentration in the mining pool. Okay, whatever. But the idea is that, yes, there is, we have an example, right? Lately, there are others in history, but lately, the idea that you can have a thing that serves an important function that isn't controlled by a centralized authority, right? Um, Ether is not like that, right? Like Batala came in and created it and still maintains a lot of control, you know? Um, and so in that sense, I, I do hear what you're saying. Really, most every other crypto project has sort of that, mm -hmm. that known promoter, at least, right? Many of them are, in fact, decentralized. Um, we did an episode with the proof protocol and those folks like very much are not involved in, in controlling their protocol. Um, a lot of the big chains have gone through great lengths to separate the two functions. Um, sort of you've got Solana, you've got the Solana foundation and Solana labs where the foundation is in charge of the protocol and it's a nonprofit Swiss foundation, right? Its goal is to not have that type of centralized control. Are they succeeding? Who knows? Um, Near did the same thing. Ethereum did the same thing, where you have these, again, uh, institutions that are meant to be a sort of away from for-profit and decentralized as possible, promoting this thing as a public good. I'm not saying they're, I'm not saying they're successful, but I, I'm not ready to say that we're fetishizing the technology. Bitcoin is sort of, does prove the possibility. Can we have another Bitcoin? Ooh, I don't know. I think that it is possible. It is possible for us to say, I mean, there is a perfect world where sort of crypto in general comes together and decides upon a standard. And they say, look, you know, we are now going to say that, you know, this standard and we're going to, you know, create tokens and it's going to be interoperable and we're going to sort of allow these things to happen. And all of a sudden crypto is going to become in essence sort of a large network that isn't controlled by anybody, right? You can do different things on it. You can enter a different walled garden and you can do what you want to in that walled garden. But in that sense, it's kind of like the internet, right? I mean, is the internet centralized? Uh, I don't know. Again, I'm talking too much. Go ahead. Well, I mean, I would I would argue that, you know, Web 2.0 or Web 1.0 or whatever you want, those from Web 1 to Web 2, 
you know, there it was sort of a unicorn moment, right? There was a lot of things that became very popularized, but there were a set of standards that were agreed upon. There were a lot of, uh, you know, uh, nonprofit collectives that, you know, created a set of interoperable standards. Uh, it was, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't use the word naive, but it was a different time, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas a lot of Web3 does feel like somebody wants to be in control. You mentioned Bitcoin and yes, uh, you know, that that's an example, a uniform example of a decentralized thing. You may argue with who, who controls the, the largest pools of it, but at the same time, it's a successful idea that's gone, obviously, very much global and, uh, and, and very much distributed. But how many projects like that are there? Right is is the question, and how many people have we talked to, Philip? Uh, you know, uh, just you know, in terms of friends or just meeting people at conferences and stuff like that, that say that there's going to be a brand new world that's going to be created. Other people are going to do the work, but they're going to control uh, the end product. Right? I, I've heard quite a lot of that. I'm sure you have too, because that's sort of the uh, you know the modern sort of uh, iteration of Silicon Valley think that I think exists. Right? It's it's less about hey hippie standards of like let's let's all get along to more like we want control and i don't necessarily think philip that that's all bad you know like i'm going to be really controversial here and say that i do think that if we're going to actually create a world a virtual world that people want to play in want to spend time in do all this stuff in it needs to be built out somewhat you can create an open field and you can try to build it uh, you know uh, open source sort of way if you want to, but I think the financial incentive of building a, a world that's that looks complete, that people can participate in, is going to have to happen by someone, right? Mm. Uh, and, and obviously Zuckerberg was trying to do it, probably missed the mark or was maybe a little bit too early in terms of technology. Um, but I think that somebody's going to have to build something compelling before other people can join. And hopefully at that point, it can get a little bit more, you know, hopefully open source and interoperable, but who knows, right? From my point of view, it's it, it, I don't know if there's any single entity outside of the BMS out there that can build something like uh, that can build something like that and actually have people join. Um, it's just it's happened too a few complex. times, right? I, I mean, Linux exists as well, but you all, but you have another creator. I mean, you know, Linus is much like Vitalik insofar as her mm -hmm. re refused sort of certain walls uh, and you know open things up and, and let it go. So you've, you've got some examples. I mean, there are, there are other examples I want to talk about where standardization has proven, you know, really important and allowed people sort of access. I mean, the breaking up of, of uh, Mabel, you know, had sort of created interesting competitive aspects and competition, you know, I think can solve some of these problems, right? Where if you have standards and you disallow monopoly and you let people always build a better mousetrap, right? Like that's, that will solve some of the problems you're talking about. That said, I mean, always each of those builders of better mousetraps are themselves centralized. I mean, I, I understand the dilemma, right? Um, but I, I don't think that our future has to be sort of binary like that. It's neither, it's not necessary that we choose between control in the hands of one person or one corporation or, you know, fully decentralized lack of control, right? Like it's, it's, it, it is it is a spectrum. Uh, and I feel like we we can do better than we're doing. And hopefully, and I think, I, again, to the extent that we're still talking about the metaverse, I think that that's going to be the best metaverse, right? Where you will have different places you can go, um, but each of those will be interoperable. And that's, that's, sort of, that's the future I think a lot of people want. That said, 
you know, beta died in VHS one. And sometimes it's the case that, you know, some standards win, they're not the best standard and, uh, and we'll see. Yeah, I mean, uh, you mentioned Linux, uh, you know, that's obviously the open source thing that, uh, you know, I think of, but it's got 3% market share after, after 20 years or something like that. But then when you look at something like Android, right, yeah. which was actually, which is, you know, obviously, you know, given out and it's, a, it's an open standard created by Google and maintained by Google, but at the same time, uh, they very much control it. Right, they they do they do have the stock stuff. They do allow other you know other people are allowed to use it, and it, it is meant to be open that way. You know, I guess the takeaway for me is that there's many ways, and I, I don't want to use the the, the the phrase "skin a cat" because I don't know where it comes from and it sounds weird to me. But you know, there's many ways to do things, right? Um, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, uh, is it is it a benevolent corporation that comes in and creates a standard that they that they hope they can profit off of with services and other products that they can layer on top of? That's one model, right? The freemium model uh, in gaming is always is always huge, you know. You know, could that work? You know, mm. uh, is it is it going to be entirely proper proprietary wall gardens? You know, is it going to be the the app approach? That could be the case. Uh, you know, or is it going to be completely open standards? You know, and I love Linux. There's lots of ways that it can go. I think when it come, when we talk about it and bring it back to sort of the Twitter and the you know the public space argument is that getting a critical mass of people is extremely difficult. And I think that this is kind of what's 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 been shown, right? Like if it was easy to build something else, an alternative Twitter, even even if you know, and there have been multiple tries, Mastodon, Blue Sky, other things, but it, it took another mega corporation leveraging another you know another massively popular service to get that hundred million users over. Uh, at least to look, right? So, you know, I think what's really interesting for me is that you could have the best of intentions, you could have the best technology, you could actually have uh, the most freedom, the biggest public square in terms of, you know, like uh, standards and all that kind of stuff, but it won't matter until you have people, right? Mm -hmm. And how do you get them over? Will it take a mega corporation? Who knows? <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. Uh, but at the same time, I know that we're still far away from that in the metaverse, but it could change very fast, depending on how, how it shakes out, right? In terms of technology, in terms of standards, of, in terms of, you know, buzz and, 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 you know, vibes and who comes over and all that kind of stuff. But we'll see, you know. Well, it's, and, uh, and don't yeah. forget technology, right? I feel like, you know, to also avoid analogies about killing animals, I won't be the horse again. <laughs> uh, but we've talked before about accessible hardware, right? In terms of metaverse, I think we also need to talk about accessible software in terms of, of crypto. Um, it can't be the case that you know you have to be conversant in a programming language or a command line interface to be able to participate in a, in a crypto economy or crypto world. We need it to be easier. Right. And I feel that those are sort of sub sub points to your point. Right. Yes, we need users. How do we get users? We make it easy. Um, how do we make it easy? Well, you know, step one, let's get regulation out of the way, but let's get industry killing re regulation <laughs> out of the way. Um, I feel like that's starting to happen. Um, I think we're starting to have people understand the importance of decentralization. Right. I mean, people who really enjoyed Twitter are very upset that Elon did what he did. Um, I think that people who value privacy are now beginning to realize like, man, right? Like what, what have I been doing for the past 25 years or 40 years, depending on how long you want to count, where I've been paying for intense amounts of convenience with you know, everything about me. <laughs> we haven't talked about it yet. A very obvious example of this is the WorldCoin launch. I don't know if you heard about that. 
right? Sam Altman, the same guy that brought us OpenAI, has a company called WorldCoin, where it has these chrome orbs where it goes around the planet scanning people's eyeballs to prove they're human so that in the coming robotic future, you as a verified human can participate in the universal basic income being generated by these artificial intelligences, right? That's not cool. Right? <laughs> I don't I don't like that at all because again, you know, uh, WorldCoin makes a bunch of promises about how it's gonna protect your privacy, but if in order to enjoy the benefits of humanity, I have to pay with my humanity, like that's a shitty deal. That's a, that's a good place to put it. I, what I will say is that, you know, it, it, all of this kind of stuff uh, is, is leading, you know, whether we're talking about crypto or metaverse or anything like that, we're just talking about a way for humans to interact, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, one of the, one of the possible benefits of X uh, and, and, you know, and the desire to do everything is made is a way to sort of get rid of that sort of uh, uh, friction when it comes to existing online. You know, how do mm. I transact? How do I live? What do I do? Um, I think that's what we're all moving to. Right, that's what we're moving towards, and who knows who has the right sauce to get that done? But there's no killer for that yet, and uh, but we're going to be monitoring it every, uh, you know, on a regular schedule from now on. So look forward to that, Philip. Absolutely. All right. Well, Meta Sapiens, we'll be back to you uh, with a, with a guest on our next episode. Until then, have a good one. Very young. Awesome.